Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to you, uh, those of you here in person, uh, outside, and online. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, I want to invite you to turn to Paul's letter to the Colossians. I'm going to begin reading in chapter 1. We'll have it up on the screen. I do encourage you to have it up in front of you as well. I will be referring back to it a couple times here throughout the sermon. But would you listen now with open ears as I read these words from the book that we love. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, indeed, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant." He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to this time and we sit under these words. And Lord, I recognize that as we assemble today, uh, both in person uh, and online, that we do come from all kinds of different places. Uh, We do come in this room uh, with all kinds of worries Uh, that are different from one another. We do come into this room with all kinds of distractions. Lord, I pray for grace to quiet our souls under the scriptures this morning. I pray for your presence to come here, to fill this room, to empower these words, to have your way with us, to change us at the deepest level. Oh God, we ask that you would be so pleased to come and to grant us spiritual renewal, spiritual revival, for, for some of us, uh, spiritual life for the first time. Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in, uh, whether we're here uh, with lives that are comfortable or whether we are here in deep despair, whether we are here with faith or dealing with all kinds of doubts, give us grace today. Give us power. Give us Christ. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. So happy to be with you. I'm happy to be back in church. I'm delighted to see uh, you, to see, uh, uh, I would like to say to see your lovely faces, but they're, they're still lovely under, under your coverings there. Um, love, excited to see you outside, and uh, those of you joining online want to welcome you as well. We're really happy to be here. Uh, Sam and I have been talking and we've been considering, you know, what, what is God doing in this time and season? Every, every pastor is asking this. Uh, every year we begin our uh, work here at the church with a season of prayer and fasting. And I wanted to try to introduce this uh, to you, kind of set up for you what we're doing. A few years ago, uh, our session graciously granted me a sabbatical. I was given four months off of my position. And uh, I did what every pastor, there's one thing every pastor does when they go on sabbatical. Does anyone know what it is? There's one thing every pastor does when they go on sabbatical. One tradition. They decide whether they're coming back. 
<laughs> yes, everyone does, and I did as well. Um, went, went to uh, quite a bit of counseling and, and quite a bit of help and research. And I'll tell you that, you know, it wasn't hard to decide to come back uh, with respect to the fact that uh, God is doing something very special here in you, right? When I, when I talk to other pastors and they, you know, everyone, every pastor has difficulties and complaints and everything else, I really believe that what community God has built here is really the envy of the region, right? That this is a healthy church, that you are a healthy people, um, that you are kind and considerate and patient. Uh, there's not a lot of judging that goes on here. Uh, folks are engaged in serving their city. Uh, folks care about one another. There's a level of truth speaking that is unusual. Uh, so there's a lot, you know, so from that angle, it wasn't hard to come back. But even still, uh, as I was considering it and I was considering what, you know, what lay ahead for me and what's going on, there was one non-negotiable uh, that I had at the time. And as I uh, approached this season of prayer and fasting, I continue to have, and that is this, right? That if I'm going to be in this work, Right? I find myself like Moses and saying, I don't want to do this work without your presence and without your power. You remember that? Moses said that. He said, God, if you're going to send me out, I don't want to go unless your presence and your power comes with me. Don't send us out unless your presence and your power goes with us. And friends, that is what we are doing in this season of prayer and fasting Right? If, you're, if you're considering, do I want to participate in this? Do I want to go without food? Do I want to be moody tomorrow? Right? Or extra moody for some of you? Right? Do I want to do that? Is it really worth my time? I mean, it's getting cold outside. Do I want to come and be part of what's going on here? The, the request I have for you is this. Right? Life is not worth moving forward. Or, or church, I should say, is not worth moving forward without God's power is not worth going forward without God's power. And our tradition, from the earliest stages, right, the earliest stages, some of you aren't aware that uh, Teresa Wagner was on staff with us, and she started, uh, by her spiritual wisdom, she started this tradition. She said, Aaron, the problem with our church, we were very small, is that we need to pray together. We need a prayer meeting. And we started this very small thing called Pizza and Prayer, and at the very first, uh, might, might have been the second, very first or second gathering, uh, we had God answer prayer on the spot, powerfully and miraculously. Right? I'll never forget it. I had someone who had two people that were telling me very different stories. One I thought was lying, didn't know who it was. And I was on baby duty, right? We shared baby duty. I was on baby duty, holding Isaac. He was a little infant at the time. Wondering, God, who is telling me the truth in this conflict that was going on? Chrissy's in the other room praying, saying, guys, Darren is facing a situation, doesn't know who, what's going on. We need to pray that God would reveal it. I get an email during the prayer meeting, right? And in the email, the person is saying, look at all these things that are going on. And he's making all kinds of accusations against this other person. And my eyes are drawn to the email header. And the date is wrong on the header. It was supposed to be uh, Friday, September 11th. It was Monday, September 11th. And a computer would never make that mistake. And I knew in that instance who was lying. And God had come into that room powerfully. And that was the first 
of several powerful manifestations of God's power, not when one person prayed, but when the church gathered corporately to pray. Right? We, we, we are sitting here in this room, right, enjoying this patio that is the envy of every church, right, that we can have outdoor seating. Hi, guys, by the way. Sawyer, good to see you. Zoom in on Sawyer, would you? No. <laughs> He's the king of the uh, Fresh Air Club. Right? We have this patio that is the envy of all the churches. I put our video on a church planting group saying, hey, guys, look at this cool video my son made and everything. And guys were just like, dude, why are you rubbing this in? I had to delete it because I felt bad. Okay? Right? And that wasn't cool. I mean, most of these guys can't even meet because they have schools and, and all this other stuff. Right? But God has been so good and so gracious, and, and, and in some cases, just flat-out miraculous, as the church has gathered to pray. That's why we have this building in this time, in this pandemic, is because you prayed, right, seasons ago and said, God, we don't know how we're going to do it, but we think you want us to buy this space, right, under Drew's leadership as the PAC committee worked hard, but none of that would have mattered if it wasn't for God's power and his presence to deliver us a gift that we had no idea how incredibly useful it would be in that season, right? In that season, we thought, yeah, this would be nice to have a building. It'll be good. It, you know, we'll try to really use it well for the Lord. We had no idea that, we, that this space would become the envy of the region, in some cases beyond the region. So friends, my simple request is that you would consider joining us to fast and pray for God's power and his presence in the coming season. Would you consider that? Now, what does that look like? What would God's power look like? I mentioned miracles. I mentioned provision, right? We love that. Um, what does it look like in this passage? Well, this is uh, the heart of the theme uh, of the sermon series for this season. It's where I see God having us. And that is this, that God's power is manifest in a variety of ways, sometimes through miracles, right? sometimes through profound answered prayer. But in this passage, the issue that's highlighted in particular is that when God comes to a community of people and he visits them with his word and his power, that his presence transforms that community to be something deeply uncommon, right? And that's, the, that's the, the thesis of my sermon series based on the book of Colossians is this. It's called Christ in us, presence of Christ in us, the power of an uncommon community. And what I want to do is try to show you this from the scriptures this morning just briefly. So look with me, if you would, in Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to uh, read again from verse 3. Paul says this, he says, we always thank God. He's praying to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, why? Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. You see, what Paul, Paul hasn't met these folks yet. He's distanced from them, but he says, I heard that you responded to preaching, right, in such a way that you believe in Christ. Not only did I hear that you believe in Christ, but you now have a commitment to one another that is unusual. 
You have the kind of commitment that is always present where the power of God is present. And friends, I cannot emphasize this for you enough, that where you see God's power in a group of people, you will see that group of people committed to one another in a way that is unusual. Let me try and uh, share this with you from, the other, from other writers here in the New Testament. Right? So, for example, uh, Jesus will say, listen, they will know that you are my disciples. They'll know that you follow me by the way that you love each other. Right? The, the, the identity of the church is vested in the commitment it shows to one another. Paul will say that the fruit of the Spirit among, among that category is love. Paul will also write in your favorite wedding verse, right? Who had 1 Corinthians 13 in their wedding? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. Anyone? Okay, we need to, we need, if you get married again, we need to talk. Um, actually, I didn't have it, so <laughs> did we have it, sweetheart? No. We, we had weird, we had other verses, right? But 1 Corinthians 13 says, if I have love and I have all these other gifts, right? If I can move mountains, if I have prophecy, if I have all these other things, but I don't love others, he says, I am nothing. The writer of Hebrews, this mysterious person we don't know who is, uh, will say in chapter 10, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another uh, to love and to good works. Uh, John, <clears throat> 1 John, will say this, uh, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Right? To be in the light, according to John, uh, means that you have an uncommon commitment to one another. And friends, I want to try to help flesh out for you how important this is to the mission of the church. Uh, you know, we, we've been talking a lot about defining who we are in, in, our, in our marketing and things online you know, my son is reading a book on marketing and, you know, working on that for his business. And he was telling me, he says, tell me the story of when the church was started, how that went, right? And, and some of you have heard this before, but I was doing everything I knew to go and tell everyone I could find about Ironworks Church. We were just about nine people at the time. And so I heard about in this building, there met a group for business networking, right? So there was a real estate agent. You know, and there was a person selling advertising space on the patch, and um, there was someone repairing computers. And they, the way it would work is you'd pay your $10, you'd get a breakfast, and then you would get up and you would give your pitch. And then they would critique your pitch, and you, know, you would learn to be a better person, and then you would also make uh, contacts at the business networking meeting. So it was cool. I, I went for a while, you know, when, when time allowed in my schedule, <laughs> and... Um, you know, folks were getting up and selling their businesses, and then they said, okay, Darren, it's your turn to get up and sell your business. And uh, I remember saying, you know, our, our business, if you can call it that, is an invitation to come and to give your life away. How did I do? <laughs> right? And they just looked at me awkwardly. Um, right? But that, our business, right, when we, our business is an invitation to come and to give your life away for others, right? How do you sell that? How do you sell that at the business networking lunch, right? 
How does that even work? And the answer, of course, that you all know, you're all sitting there saying, we all came, we are all here, right? We, we give, we participate, we're part of this community. Why? One reason I would suggest is because you have found power in one another, right? You have found a community where you're able to be who you are, you're able to, to share openly about who you are, including things that are really sensitive to your own soul, right? There's a group of guys that get together and they say, look, we want to tell each other how we've sinned this week. We want to be really honest about that. Why? Because this is a space where you're not going to be judged, but you will be challenged, right? Where, where you're not going to be gossiped about, but you will be prayed for. And guys, this community, let me just remind you, this community it's something that cannot, you cannot compare to any other thing, right? That when you have a community with true, genuine spiritual power, it is worth more than anything else. So um, in, in church history, actually, there was a plague uh, that really began to define the church. So I'm going to talk to the Fresh Air Club. I want to say hi to these folks. They're so nice. Um, hey, guys. Welcome. Sawyer, everything okay out here? It's all good. <laughs> Got a lid on things. All right. It's not so crowded today. Welcome. Great to be with you guys. Yeah, so in church history, the church actually in the plagues uh, began to rise to spiritual and power and spiritual influence that it didn't previously had. And as a result of that, as a result of the church saying, you know, we're going to be more concerned about caring for the sick than we are about protecting ourselves, that was the, the concern at the time, that the church rose in influence. And in the fourth century, Emperor Julian wrote a letter uh, criticizing his own people for not caring for the poor, uh, and he cited the work of the Christians. And this is what he said. He said, uh, it says, uh, one historian, indeed, the impact of Christian mercy was so evident in the fourth century that when the Emperor Julian attempted to restore paganism, he exhorted the pagan priesthood to compete with Christian charities. In a letter to the high priest of Galatia, Julian urged the distribution of grain and wine to the poor, noting that the impious Galileans, that's the Christians, in addition to their own, support our poor. And it is shameful that our poor should be wanting for aid. So the work of the church was so extraordinary, right, that, that the emperor, as he's trying to promote paganism, is saying, look, the Christians are putting us to shame by the way they care for each other and the way that they care for us, right? The Christians are putting to shame uh, our own folks. And as, as the Christians did that, as they cared more about service than about gaining power and, power and influence, uh, their influence actually increased uh, profoundly. And friends, I would tell you that... Um, you know, there, there's a group of folks here, I think we'll, we'll learn more about that, that are, are sharing kind of a network of folks who are serving others in this city, right? Um, I think Patrick and Lyndon are going to be sharing about that at some point. But you can talk to them. They are, um, there's a whole network of folks that's going around and saying, look, how can we be meeting the needs of those in our community uh, particularly those that are, that are the most vulnerable. And I absolutely love what's going on. Commend this work to you. And what we're finding is that when the church has an uncommon commitment to one another and then an uncommon commitment to its city, that we see God's power at work through the church in a way 
that, that raises its influence for the gospel. And I'll tell you that, you know, our, our mission at the church, right, if you don't know what it is, we seek to preach Christ, to love one another, right, that's this value we're looking at, to serve our city and to plant churches. And these values are all connected, right, because if we're going to go out and preach Christ, but folks come and they find a, a community of people that's disinterested in each other, that writes each other off, right, that's willing to, to, to not stand uh, even when times are difficult, even when relationships are strained, they're going to come in and they say, the preaching is not, it's not making sense, right? And in the same way, um, in order to have a community like this, the only way that it can be accomplished is by the gospel doing what it does in the souls of people. And friends, I'll just tell you, I mean, I don't, I don't think I need to, but I'll just tell you that in our particular context, in our particular day, as we have political tensions uh, that are higher than ever, as we have racial uh, pain and racial tensions that are higher than ever, as we see the world becoming more and more and more divided, right, as we see uh, dialogue and conversation becoming more and more difficult and impossible to, uh, to, 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 to not be in like a toxic debate if you're going to disagree with someone. As we see more and more of that, there is an opportunity for the church to show what the power of God can do in the lives of people, right? And so what might that look like? Well, I had a couple, wrote a couple things down, right? I think that this community, that this, this way that folks care for each other, how does it show up? Well, shows up in people speaking truthfully to one another, right? Being honest. Look, I, I don't, I don't think you're seeing clearly, or are you aware of what you're doing, right? Are you aware of how you're hurting, for example? Like, it's speaking truthfully, but it's not holding grudges, right? Truth without grudges. It's clear convictions, right? But space to disagree on matters that are not essential, right? So I might have really clear convictions, but I have space to disagree respectfully on lesser matters. It's friendships where forgiveness flows really freely. It's a commitment that withstands mistakes and sins and hurt feelings and miscommunication. And it is a bond of friendship that shows up in commitment and powerful prayer. Right, those are just some, some things that I wrote down from the scriptures. Right, that when, when the gospel of Christ comes to a community, that these are the kinds of things that happen. Right, this is the way that the church lives. And the second chapter of Acts talks about God's power visiting that community. And it says, look, these folks were meeting daily for encouragement. They were breaking bread. They were attending worship. And they were devoting themselves to prayer. Right? So Paul hears of the love that they have for each other, for their church, for the broader church, and he says, I'm praying for you. Why? Because clearly God has made you his own. That's what's happened. So now uh, we're in a season where you know, we're coming back to church. There's been a lot of tensions all over the place. How can we seek to deepen the community that we have? That's the question uh, that I want to close with. How can we seek to do that? We've talked a little bit about what it is. We've talked about its power, why it's good. How can we seek to deepen it? Well, the passage gives us some clear direction here. It says this. He says, 
you've had love for all the saints, verse 6, um, since you heard the gospel and understood the grace of God in truth. He makes reference to it also in verse 5 where he says, your, your commitment to one another is a result, uh, verse 5, of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And of course what he's saying is this, that the power of Christian community is vested in the power of the gospel. Right? That if you want this, if you want to uh, move forward in relationships like this, the way forward is to reconnect with God's grace. Right? And it's interesting, you know, Paul says here uh, in verse 6, he says, the, the word of truth, the gospel, has come to you. And then he says, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard of it. Do you hear what he's saying? That everywhere the gospel goes, there's power. There's power particularly to create community. That's just what happens. You know, and if you're finding that, hey, look, I'm in need of renewal in this area. I'm in need of refreshing in this area. How do I get it? The answer, of course, is to reconnect with the gospel. Perhaps your heart has grown cold to it. Perhaps it has become stale to you, right? That is normal, actually, friends. That is normal in the life of a person. And what we do is we reconnect with the gospel and don't settle for anything else. You know, and we're going to be turning to this table here in a moment. And at this table, we actually see the most beautiful and powerful uh, portrayal of, of all that I'm saying as Jesus sits down with his friends, knowing that they will so painfully devastate him with what they're about to do, one being his betrayer, the rest will flee, they'll be scattered, uh, one who, whom he trusted the most will, will deny him, so his friendships are going to be absolutely devastated right, by failure, by sin, by mistreatment, it's going to happen. He sits down at this table with them, and he says, I want you to drink of this wine because this wine is symbolizing what I have to do to make you family, to make you transition, right? To take you from being, no longer do I call you servants, right? Servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but he transitions. He says, now I'm going to call you friends. And he does that actually before their greatest failures, right? And then after their failures, he brings them in even closer, right? Reference was made, uh, reference was made earlier uh, last week to Jesus bringing Peter on the shore after his most devastating failure. And he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter is in so much pain. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. And then Jesus finally looks at him and says, okay, I'm sending you out. I'm trusting you now with my sheep. I'm trusting you with my church. Because now you know what grace tastes like. And Peter was then equipped to go and do the job. And friends, I'll tell you that, you know, if you're in a place where friendships have been injured, where uh, hurt is present, you know, you're actually in a place that's ripe to taste of grace and then to extend it. You're in a place that's ripe to do that. 
because that is uh, where Jesus often does his best work. So here's what I want to do. Uh, I would like you to consider where it is that God has you, right? Where it is that, that you've allowed hurt and pain to, to, to drive a wedge between others, right? Where you maybe have holding a grudge, uh, where, where you're perhaps, um, you know, holding distance uh, in ways that are contrary to what God is, is saying here. And what I want you to do is I want you uh, to meditate on the gospel this morning. I want you to come to the table and meditate and ask Jesus and say, Jesus, would you open my eyes that I would see wonderful things in your law? Would you cause the truth of what you have done to sink down deep into my soul? And then I'd like to ask you to please consider coming, participating tonight in our fast where we're going to be praying for a measure of God's power in our relationships. And then we're going to come tomorrow, break our fast together, have a time of worship and a time of prayer.